Hello friends and welcome to podcast Waterworks Ministries number four. Uh, I am Karen Weiss, the director of Waterworks Ministries and here today I am sitting with Kelly Kripsik and she is a friend of mine from spiritual direction training a couple years ago and she is a writer and a mother and a wife and a lover of flowers and it is my pleasure to have you with us today. Thank you. So let's jump right in. Um, tell us a little bit about yourself, what you love, what brings you joy. Okay. Um, well, I am trained in a lot of things that I don't necessarily do at this point in my life, <laughs> but I grew up in upstate New York and came to central Pennsylvania for college and met my husband there and went to seminary in New Jersey and then eventually we ended up moving back here to central Pennsylvania. It felt like home for both of us. Um, I have a background in both pastoring, I'm a licensed pastor, and I also have training in teaching, so I've done some teaching at a local Christian college in the Biblical Studies Department. And those were always two things that I thought I would end up doing, especially the teaching. I thought, I'm going to get a PhD and I'm going to be a teacher. And life went on and I, I did some chaplaincy, I did some teaching and some pastoring. And in the midst of that, we started having children. And I just continued to listen to my life and what time I had for things and what energy I had for things. And eventually, Actually, I did start doing some spiritual direction training, which is where we met. Mm -hmm. That was uh, when I did the first year when I was working as a pastor. And during that year, both years that I was in spiritual direction training were um, huge, huge events, life events mm -hmm. happened. Mm -hmm. So actually, I didn't meet you in the first year. The first year I became pregnant with twins unexpectedly, which turned my whole life plan <laughs> upside down. <laughs> We Surprise. already yes <laughs> rude awakening yeah um we had already two children and i was working part-time as a pastor and that experience led me to quit my job to be home and it was both a really hard life change but i know now that it was a great opportunity not only are the kids a gift and we enjoy them immensely but that it gave me space that I needed to kind of turn my life in a different direction or mm -hmm. allow my life to be turned in a different direction. Mm -hmm. And then I did go back and finish the training, and that's the year that we met. And that year we ended up moving. We had been living in a small, medium-sized town in a small house, and part of the reality of suddenly having four kids was that we needed more space. But we also felt that we were being called to a different way of life and to, for me, it felt like a spacious place. And so we sold our house and we started looking for that place. And it was during that second year of training that we found our current home in Boiling Springs, which is a small farmette. And here we have, I think I've kind of rediscovered some of who I am in terms of really enjoying animals and enjoying quote-unquote farm life <laughs> we don't have a lot of farm animals but we've been able to find a way of life here and part of that gift was that 
in our current place, I have a, a separate building, which was one of the things we were praying for when we were looking for a house. That's my office. And so my intention was to use that for spiritual direction, but it's also become a place for writing for me, for napping. <laughs> napping is really important. We, uh, we undervalue yes. the quality of a good nap. Yes. I'm a big fan <laughs> of naps. And and now I'm thinking about making it into a little bit of an art studio too, mm-hmm. which I never would have expected, but it's also really fun. Awesome. So we are in your studio. Yep. <laughs> doing the recording this morning and it has lots of windows and mm-hmm. light and it is very spacious mm-hmm. and I can see how you would gravitate towards this. And it was completely much. gift. You know, everywhere we looked we would see an old falling down building or something and we'd be like, maybe we could turn that into a workshop or something. And then when we found this house, this was just here and ready and we haven't done anything to it and it was just usable. Mm-hmm. And it used to be, originally we think it was the chicken coop. So that's kind of fun too. <laughs> it's a very nice chicken coop. Yeah, I know. I think they did some improvements <laughs> when the hens moved out. <laughs> Amazing. So you have a self-published book coming out on November 7th. Yes. Um, Do you want to tell us a little bit about that? Yeah, I told my friend that I think that maybe the chickens, the spirit of the chickens is here in the coop, and they would not let me do anything other than write about chickens for my first book, Um, because otherwise (laughs) I do not, I never would have thought I'd be writing anything having to do with chickens. My husband was the one who wanted chickens. And every house we looked at, he would say, do you think we could have chickens here? Um, and I was like, that's not important. <laughs> we need enough bedrooms right, for Right, exactly. <laughs> I need an office. Let's not worry about the chickens. Um, the book is about... I'm one of those people who starts writing and believes that somewhere along the line, I'll figure out what I'm writing about. So... I'm realizing Chicken Scratch, it's called Chicken Scratch, Stories of Love, Risk, and Poultry. And I'm realizing it's about a couple things. My son said this morning, is it about chickens? My husband's like, no. (laughs) I'm like, well. Um, It started as an experiment. I wanted more chickens. We had four or five for about two years. And I thought that we could have an egg selling business. Hmm. So we bought a flock of 12 laying hens and in the midst of that I decided that what if I paid attention to that experience for 30 days Mm -hmm. and I made a goal of writing about my experience with the new flock for 30 days and then I would see what happened so that's what I did when I look at it from a so there are lots of stories of chickens they're mostly stories about me observing myself with the chickens. Mm-hmm. Um, someone I know who read it was like, there was just enough about chickens. She said, I have no interest in chickens at all, but I was happy to find that it wasn't really about chickens. And I was like, good. <laughs> because I would don't really have interest in those books either. But I think pri- also it's a book about paying attention. I think that that's what writing is for me. And so I find that there's nothing insignificant. Anything that we pay attention to can teach us about ourselves and about life and about God. 
And so what I found through the course of paying attention over those 30 days and then looking back over it was myself. So this is the third thing that the book is about (laughs) is about myself deciding what kind of life do I want to live and trying to find the freedom to embrace that. Hmm. That's awesome. Those are themes that I think very much are running through. I think a lot of people, maybe not necessarily in their 20s, but definitely in the 30s and 40s. Yeah. With looking, okay, my life is half over. Right. What, What is meaningful to me? What kind of life do I want to live? Right what kind of life am I living and do they mesh up? Yeah. I think. And also like in the title, I talk about risk. I think mm-hmm. that for all of us, the things that we love most often feel risky because they're dear to us. We hold them close to our hearts. So pursuing what we love makes us feel vulnerable. Mm-hmm. And so I think for me, part of what I'm wrestling about in that book is trying to listen for the love that would convince me to endure the risk Mm. and the vulnerability of Mm -hmm. having these crazy chickens and having them get in the neighbor's yard and trying to chase them back and losing them to predators and, Mm. and enduring them pooping everywhere (laughs) and all of those things. So, yeah. Awesome. So how did you get into writing? as what I think is a spiritual discipline for you, um, but also as a creative outlet, as, as a profession, you know, how, how did you get into it? Yeah, I, it started when I was pregnant with the twins right after I quit my job or took a leave of absence from my job is what I did. And our house was becoming very small. It was filling up with stuff for the twins. I lost my office because we had to move the older kids down. I had lost my job, um, relinquished my job. And so we just had the computer in this little corner of the living room. And I went online that summer before the twins were born and I set up a blog. And I had joined Facebook about a year before because I thought I was gonna go back to graduate school. I think that was, maybe it was two years before. But anyway, through Facebook, I had realized that um, I was trying to get in touch with an old professor. Mm -hmm. That's why I joined Mm -hmm. Facebook. Um, Through Facebook, I realized that I really enjoyed playing with words. Mm. And so I'd find myself thinking all day about things that had happened and fun or interesting ways to communicate them. So then I started, I made this blog and I had never read a blog or followed anyone. It wasn't something I was familiar with. But people were saying, why don't you start a blog? I I would read that. And so I was like, okay. I started the site, and then I didn't open it again for a year. And I think I lost – I didn't even know where it was. I didn't know how to get back to it, and that's (laughs) – I lost the password. I I knew it was out there. I think in some way that was my way of making a space for myself because I knew my life was going to be taken over in some intuitive way, I knew the next year was just going to be taken over by caring for two infants. Around January of that year, 
we started, or maybe it was closer to March, we started having a babysitter come one morning a week. And I ended up writing during that time. So I would kind of just flee the house with my laptop and throw the babies at her and <laughs> go to the local college library or Panera and write. And by the time I had about what I thought was like 13 pieces that could be published, I just started doing that on the blog. Hmm. So what I realized was I was writing to survive mm-hmm. and to have an outlet and to maintain a sense of voice um, as a woman who was at home and very isolated, having twins, it's really hard to get out and do much. But it was a way for me to stay connected um, beyond myself and then yet also stay connected with important parts of myself. Hmm. Nice. And so that leads me into, I guess, my next question. How do you connect with yourself? We'll start with the part A. How do you connect with yourself through writing? Um, I think it comes back to listening. So what happened when I was home with two six-month-olds and my son was just had just turned four was that I guess even back when I was just putting little posts on Facebook writing gave me a way to both pay closer attention to my day and also be a little bit detached mm. so I could be having a really bad day with two sick kids and a third kid needing attention And rather than just being overwhelmed by that, writing, thinking of it through a frame of writing, like, how would I tell people about this? What is funny about this? What is exasperating about this? Where do I find the mercy in this? Those just became sort of an intuitive lens. And I think of it now as being sort of similar to prayer, where I think that prayer both heightens your attention to the things that you're praying about and also gives you a bit of distance because really ultimately prayer is handing those things over to some being other than yourself. And then as I was writing about the craziness of life really at that point, I would often find parts of myself bubbling up as I was writing. So I would get to a point of discovering the day. And then maybe because I was open or because I was distracted by the writing, all of a sudden I would write a line and there would be tears in my eyes. And that's when I knew that I had hit on something that was real for me. Mm -hmm. So that I think is part of how it works Mm. for me. So giving yourself space to voice the crazy of the day, really, Mm -hmm. but also as a way of saying, okay, me, yeah. I'm honoring you in right. this. Right. Yeah. Lovely. That's that's something I think that so many of us have a hard time doing. Mm. Um, I know that for me, I have a hard time honoring myself in, in different ways and I actually ran a half marathon this past Saturday and I just wanted to finish Mm -hmm. and not get injured (laughs) because the first time, yeah, just the first time I ran it or I ran one, I should say the first and only time up through Saturday, 
I was in physical therapy for six weeks. Yeah. And that was not my goal. Yeah. Like, I just wanted, you know, like, you know what? We're going to do this. And it's a way for me to honor myself. Mm-hmm. Um, and at, like, mile 9.5, all of a sudden, I just, I felt this overwhelming sense of gratitude. Mm. That, like, it was like, you know what? We've done this together. Like, yeah. me and my mind and my body yeah. and my heart, we've done it together. Yeah. And that that bubbles up. Yeah. And there's there's something about creating the space for that to happen. Because I was not expecting that to happen at mile 9.5. Yeah. I was like, oh, gosh, I've got four more miles to go yet. Yeah. <laughs> but at the same time, that's that's when my body wanted to speak to me. Yeah. I was like, hey, this is this is a great thing. Yeah. I think, too, something for me about almost making myself a character in the story, because that's mm-hmm. what you have to do, even if you're writing nonfiction. You're only writing a part of yourself. Mm-hmm. But it gave me room to be a self. You know, as a, a mom of four really young kids, it, it's really easy to lose sight of myself. And so that, I think, helped me often find compassion for myself that I wouldn't have otherwise had. And I think you're like you're saying about running, when you could step away and say, how can I do this in a way that honors me rather than in a way that breeds injury, mm-hmm. you know, then you're giving yourself space to be a self in the midst of that situation. And so what, what boundaries or um, or intentions did you set to keep your sense of self or develop your sense of self while you had the four little kids? I made, I think that writing was probably mm-hmm. my primary way of doing it intention. because it was concrete. It was a way that I was getting some measure of affirmation outside of the home. Um, and so I set a goal that first year I was blogging three times a week. Mm-hmm. And now I look back and I wonder how in the world did I do that? But I really do think it was survival that I just mm-hmm. needed that. So really for me, it was the, the desire mm-hmm. that kept me going that mm-hmm. first year. And we had, you know, in terms of self survival, it was very hard. We could never afford to have childcare. But we had to choose at that point, like that first having one morning a week. Um, None of the kids, my daughter was in school, but the other three were home. And I just, we just had to say, we need this. Mm -hmm. Like, it's not okay to not have this. Um, And we probably needed more looking back, but we at least did something. And that was a big step for me just to even acknowledge that's acknowledging self-worth. Like, mm-hmm. I'm worth X amount of money a week just to feel human. <laughs> <laughs> or to not have people on top of me. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And, and my husband and I have not had children. But there, there seems to be this driving message, I guess, in society that you know, if you are going to be a mom 
and I don't think it is necessarily as much for dads, but mm -hmm. you know, if you're going to be a mom, then you have to be able to do everything. Right. And that is terrible because it, it, it's not possible. That's right. you know, just an impossible goal. But then at the same time, I think if you're a stay-at-home mom, which is as much work yeah. as you know, work and you know, all of that, that there is the possibility of creating such an identity out of yeah. your motherhood that you forget who you are. Yeah. And as yourself. Right. And I think the big thing for that, like I've always been someone who learns through negative experiences, <laughs> is that I would just become an ugly person. Mm. I mean, I would be angry. I would be resentful. I would be snappy. And so those things, when you don't give your soul, yourself space to breathe, there are consequences. So depression can be one, anger, bitterness, um, coping mechanisms and so for me the the writing helped me I think keep in touch with those things especially mm -hmm. the anger um and so when you see like oh I could potentially create this whole identity around this thing and that's what maybe mm -hmm. some part of culture expects of me there's always the flip side of okay well what is the cost of that and that's mm -hmm. fine if that's something that you want to do and it makes you happy but for me, it wasn't. And I, the more negativity came out, the more I had to honor these other parts of, of that. And the good thing with having the twins was, I think truly if we had just had one third child, I would have kept working and tried to do it all. Mm. And there was, there's just, having twins is so utterly overwhelming that I did go back to work in the winter of that first year and I, it was about six weeks I filled in for someone part-time and I just knew, you know, I couldn't even pretend that I could do it. <laughs> like, I was like, no, not going to happen. So like something about that level of intensity just makes you a little bit quicker to accept reality. <laughs> Maybe pushes you to the line a little quicker. Yes. And that's a beautiful thing to be able to go to the line and be like, okay, this is it. I know that I can't do this. And the line is there always. But sometimes it's easier to pretend it's not there. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. We say, no, I'm fine. I can work through this. Right. I can do all of these things. Yeah. It's, it's going to be fine. It's only for six weeks. Yeah. Or, yeah. you know, those kind of things. And and sometimes we can. But we're just, I have to be aware of the impact that yeah. that has. And, yeah. And sometimes we are called to that. Right. And other times we are called to recognize mm -hmm. that we have a dignity in and of ourselves that needs to be honored. Right, right. And sometimes trying to just get through it is not yeah. doing that. Yeah. Yeah. That's, that's hard and wonderful. Yes. Because <laughs> <laughs> most good things in life, I think, can yeah. be described that way. Mm -hmm. And so you talked about how you connect with yourself through writing. Mm -hmm. Are there ways that you and God connect through writing as well? The interesting thing that happened, I did not intend to, and I, I still don't think I really have like a, my writing is not devotional in like a, I don't 
write a lot about scripture verses or things like that. What happened was listen, writing helped me start listening and paying attention. So I said it gave me that lens to like look at my day. And the more I paid attention, the more God kept showing up. Mm. Um, so I would be writing about a Halloween party and the fact that my grandmother died that way. And then I would suddenly stumble into grace. Mm. And that's God for me. Or I would be writing about my frustration with our kids or with waiting for a house to open up. And love would show up and that for me is God and so I think that again just like the attention and the distance opened space for myself the attention and the distance seemed to also open space for God to kind of bubble up so I think that that's again like prayer I think especially like centering prayer like this focused attention and intentional setting aside of distractions and kind of based in the belief although I don't think I set out with the intention of reflecting God or finding God in my writing um, but God keeps showing up mm-hmm. I like to think about the process of writing as being a little bit like, I never know if I'm saying this right, but Lectio Divina. Mm-hmm. And the way that you read through with focused attention and you look for something that glimmers or catches you or draws you. And for me, writing made me do that with my life because mm-hmm. the easiest way to find something to write about is to find something that hooks you. Mm-hmm. So you know, this event just happened and it made me so mad. Oh, that's something I could write about Mm -hmm. because I'm already hooked. Mm -hmm. Um, Or I teared up when I said this. Oh, I could explore that. So for me, it kind Mm -hmm. of functions that way Mm -hmm. to as this moment that shimmers that I then spend time with. So in Mm -hmm. Lectio, you find what speaks to you and then you spend time in that. Hmm. Does that make sense? Yeah, very much so. And I, Lexio is one of those things where we forget that we can do it with other things mm. besides scripture. Right. You know, poems. Um, I am doing the Deepening Year for Direction Ministries. Right. And we did a walking Lexio okay. where we would go and just like you said, when something caught our attention. Okay. You know, I I was standing next to a big rock. And yeah. I, you know, I just, I gave the rock a hug. Yeah. Like, <laughs> yeah. You know, and, and that kind of thing. And to sit and be present with it, whatever it is. Right. Our own emotions, nature. Yeah. Um, you know, the way that, you know, there's a scratch in a piece of furniture. Right. Even, or, you know, looking... My windows in my apartment are really, really dirty. Yeah. <laughs> it's like, oh, look at that. Yeah. You, know, you can, we can all find not only ourselves, but, but God in that. And maybe it's that, like, 
we are not the intention is for me is not to find God. The intention is toward openness. Mm -hmm. And I think that God finds that it's like if our busyness and distraction and like being absorbed and attached and whatever's happening is like a brick wall, that openness makes a crack. And God is like that water, like pushing up against it. Like, Mm -hmm. you know, as soon as that crack is there, God comes through. I think that, so it's, it's kind of not me finding God, but me becoming aware of, God that's already there mm-hmm. in everything. Yeah. I love that idea of the walk, you know, because, I mean, that's that's life. And obviously there's some things, you know, you just, maybe that rock won't change your life. And sometimes mm-hmm. I stumble on something and I think, oh, I want to write about that. And then I spend 20, 30 minutes writing about it. I'm like, yeah, nothing there. <laughs> and that's okay, you know, yeah. because the point is not the product. The point is developing the posture that... And that's, that's something that I think flows across traditions is the desire for openness. Mm-hmm. Ignatius called it interior freedom okay. or holy indifference. Um, the, you know, there's a, a mindfulness tradition. Right. There's centering prayer, you know, all of these, all of these different things that are at the heart of, I think, who we are right. or have been created to be. But we all, there's a desire for us to be open. Right. Um, and it might manifest itself in the exact opposite right. sometimes. But if we're looking to be open, then grace and love show up in ways that we wouldn't necessarily recognize had we not been cultivating that openness. And some of my most helpful or most fun, some of the writing pieces that I like the most have been from my own unopenness. Like, mm. oh my gosh, I am so frustrated. You know, I wrote this whole piece about taking the kids to swim lessons, all four kids, and it was just ridiculous. And, but that lack of openness itself can be a doorway. Because the more time you, you know, you spend time, you get some distance and that's what humor does for me. So I'm writing this funny piece around my frustration and the ridiculousness of taking four little kids to swim lessons. And then I suddenly find what I was longing for, or I'm able to move through that negativity to some, a different place. And so for... It sounds like you have become a writer. Right. So how can people who don't consider themselves writers, um, like what's the first thing you would say to a quote non-writer about writing like you do? Um, um, say it again. <laughs> Let me rephrase the question um, for for non-writers, but people who, you know, feel drawn to writing but have right. no idea like what to do or what to write about right. or how to how to even start. Um, what would your advice be? Okay. 
I think two things. One is to put your focus on your desire, not on an end goal or a product. Because once you have a product in mind, like I want to write a blog post or I want to write something to put on Facebook or I want to write something that my grandkids will read, all sorts of, you immediately ruin that open field as people talk mm. about it. All sorts of um, pressure and boundaries and, well, I can't write about this because my grandkids are going to read it. Or it can't be this long because it's going to be a blog post. Or I'm only writing about this thing. So, or it has to be really good mm. because I'm going to submit it to something. So as soon as you start focusing on the product, you set all these things in your way that, for me, create stress. And um, so I've had to learn to back off from focusing on a product and really focus more on desire, mm -hmm. which I think really that first year of writing um, was just so abundant. And there are times when that fades and you lose it, but I think focusing on the joy like the first blog post that I posted it wasn't the first thing that I wrote but it was called for love and joy and that's what I come back to when I get caught up in product or readership or any of those things my intention that I set as a writer was does it bring me joy and does it and, do, and also does it multiply joy in the world and does it bring me in closer contact with love and multiply the awareness of love in the world? And as long as my writing is doing those two things for me and other people, that's successful. Um, that really helps me. So I think coming to your, you know, people talk a lot about your intention, mm -hmm. <laughs> but coming to what is your intention for this time? Is it just to enjoy words? It can be such small things. And I think even the smaller it is, the more we feel free to play, um, to have fun, and to trust that maybe the act of writing is not about the product, but it's just about the freedom that it brings in you, or the joy, or the access to some sorrow that you really need to talk about, but you couldn't get to any other way. I think that that's what I, I realize I don't identify myself as a writer because I'm very aware that right now writing for me is a vehicle and in the past the vehicle has had to be other things and right now the vehicle of writing works really well based on my life circumstances. Um, but I also kind of try to avoid thinking myself as a writer because then my ego gets tied up in it and, and it writer feels a lot like a product to me and a label. Mm -hmm. And when I come back to more sort of essential things, like I want to be a prayerful person or a prayer, um, by which I mean someone who is connected with God and connected with the world around them. Those things can happen whether I'm writing or painting or um, talking with my kids about something like, or loving our pets, those things can happen anywhere and they're not dependent on other things. Mm -hmm. Yeah, labels 
often constrict. Well, and I think I've realized that because I've had to let go of a lot of labels. <laughs> like, um, pastor mm. and teacher or professor. I thought that for a long time that was going to be my label. And in, every time I had to let go of one of those, it was, you know, a dying. Mm-hmm. And I realized how much of myself was wrapped up in that. So I think that there's a real caution in me from allowing that to be there again. Now I'm probably also just unaware of <laughs> how much my ego is wrapped up in all these things I've just mentioned, but I'll learn that along the way. Yeah. And that, yeah, when I lost my engineering job, mm-hmm. it took me probably a year and a half to work through the loss of that yeah. identity. Yeah. Because I didn't realize how much I was wrapped up in, well, I'm an engineer, and right. this is what I do. And it wasn't just this is what I do, it's this is who I am. Right, yeah. And so to reprogram myself yeah, took, well, I'm still reprogramming myself yeah. In, yeah. in other ways. But right. it's, it's a, again, a wonderful and beautiful and really difficult journey yeah. all yeah. in the same time. So I appreciate that. Thank you. And so you said that you're starting to paint mm-hmm. um, and you you have a beautiful garden mm-hmm. and you like to cut flowers. Mm-hmm. And um, so what what encouragement can you give for people who are right on the line of wanting to start or try something new? But have that little voice in their head, like, oh, well, you're not going to be good at it, so why bother? Okay. Let me go back. I never finished my advice for people who want to write. Sorry, I just realized. (laughs) So the one thing, the first thing was pay attention to your desire. Your desire is a gift. And, like, the kind of churches that I grew up in, you were supposed to repress desire. Mm -hmm. So that's really um, different. And the second thing that I think is really helpful and I've read in some different writing books is to pay attention to, I like the word carnal, pay attention to carnal things. So you were saying your windows are dirty. Um, Those things, I don't know why, but those things, Pat Schneider, she wrote, how the light gets in. She talks about that the carnal things become an open door. They become a point of connection, I think. So if you, if I'm trying to explain to you something that I think about something, if I can connect it to a concrete thing, like you're able probably, a concrete thing that we both have in common, like Mm -hmm. cooking or something, Mm -hmm. then you would be like, oh, that makes more sense now. Then if I was just trying to explain it as a random idea, as I kind of am right now. Um, (laughs) So I think the same goes for us as people within ourselves, that the more we begin with, the way a flower, a certain color that speaks to us. What is it about that color? What is that like? Or I'll notice sometimes just a movement will like be something. The other morning I was trying to get the wood stove, a fire started in it, and it just was being blech 
to me <laughs> and it wouldn't get going. And so it wasn't really putting out any heat. And I went over and I opened it and I just moved the logs and it took off. Mm. And I thought, wow, I didn't have to add anything. And it was just like one of those Lectio moments that pinged me. And I thought, there's something there. Um, and it doesn't have to be a narrow spiritual lesson, but there was something there that spoke to me of sometimes just adjusting things is all it takes, that you don't always have to add more. And something about that, I guess, speaks of grace to me, you know. Um, so start with the carnal thing, um, the the way a red tomato just, what is it about the red tomato that gives you joy or brings a memory? The other thing, I'm adding a third thing, advice for writers, is to um, again, this is kind of a concrete way to practice the whole don't look at the product. But if you set an, a goal or an attention to say even I'm going to notice one thing on my drive to work each week. So you drive to and from work five days a week, twice a day. That's 10 opportunities. Maybe you say, I'm going to find one thing this week that would be interesting for me to write about or mm -hmm. to explore in writing. So you kind of set your attention. You start looking. And I think the act of looking helps us see what's there. And I think people get stressed out because they're like, there's nothing there. I don't have anything to write about. The truth is there's things to write about everywhere. And that commitment to looking is really helpful and can then build confidence, I think, because the more you see, the more you look, the more you look, the more you see, and it rolls um, kind of on itself. It doesn't have to be long. No. You know, you can no. write... Yeah. A paragraph. Mm -hmm. Or, and like you were saying earlier, don't. Yeah. Don't make it a product. Like, oh, right. well, this, you know, this is going to go on a blog, so it needs to be, you know, seven hundred words, right, or four hundred words, or whatever. And, you know, you can notice one thing on your right. drive to work, and if it's five sentences, and you've said what you want to say about. Right what you noticed in five sentences, then that's, that's your stuff for the week. Right. Like that's, that's your offering, I yeah. guess. Yeah. And I think too, to think about different kinds of writing, like we all write emails, we all write lists, mm -hmm. I think. We all have to communicate in these different ways. A lot of us write things on online and different social media sites and I think to kind of open your view of like oh this is writing too and how can I be more playful with that how can that be an opportunity to explore this desire that you have to play with words recently I read Big Magic yeah by Elizabeth Gilbert and she is a writer. Um, I'm not sure if she would, you know, want to describe herself that way, but mm -hmm. she is certainly someone who likes to express herself with right. words on a written page. Yeah. <laughs> and she talked a lot about 
creativity and inspiration right in that and and so there's something to be said for the noticing mm-hmm. and having that be your creativity and mm-hmm. inspiration mm-hmm. Um, I like the drive to work because mm-hmm. <laughs> I for this year through through June 30th my commute to an official position, I'll say, something outside of my office at home is about 25 miles. Oh, okay. And there's a lot of, there's a lot of time, Yeah. you know, generally, yeah. to, to observe. Yeah. And I've been waiting for the leaves to change. Yeah. And it's late this Slow, year. Yeah. They, they haven't, and I'm, you know, because I go down... Seven Mountains between State College and Lewistown, and it can be so beautiful, um, mm-hmm. especially when all the leaves all of a sudden change color and they're bright and, mm-hmm. and that kind of thing. But there's invitation in the other as well, mm-hmm. like looking at the reservoir, going, "Oh, it's low." Right. I noticed that. Yeah. You know, and and being intentional, and it could could be about the drive. It could be about going grocery shopping. Yeah. You know, okay, well, I go grocery shopping three times a week, maybe. Right. What What can I notice in that? Yeah. And, or making dinner, mm-hmm. you know. Mm-hmm. And then with your ride, I mean, I think a question could be, what is it like for the to wait for the leaves? Mm. You know, I think if you started writing about this desire and this waiting, then you might find something else you know, mm-hmm. in that. It sounds like your writing is in many ways spiritual direction for yourself. Right, probably. <laughs> <laughs> I met with someone on, I guess it was, it was Monday afternoon, and she came in with all of these things. Yeah. And yet at the end, it really had nothing to do with those things. Right. It was a way of how she saw herself, yeah, and the the lack of love, right, that she was giving herself, and yeah, yeah, it that to me is what spiritual direction is about. It's right. pulling off, yeah. pulling off the layers, saying, okay, what's what's at the root of right. what we have right in front of us today? Yeah. And I think that's how I can say this is a book about chickens, but it's not about chickens. Yeah. Like, it's never just about what it, you think it's yeah. about, you know. It could be, but to me, it's I'm always more interested in, well, why am I so frustrated that the chickens keep, why do I feel embarrassed and ashamed that the chickens keep getting in the neighbor's yard and, like, just feel terrible or, yeah, so that's always the attraction to me. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And there's something, and I'll use the term magical. Some people might want to say spiritual or, you know, whatever it is about looking beyond the meaning. Yeah. Like looking beyond the literal. Right. Into the other. Yeah. And seeing what the other has for us. When I think, I like the, the word... Carnal Mary Carr uses it in her book on memoir, which I had read that, 
And then I read Big Magic, and mm. I was like, oh, Big Magic was such a breath of fresh air because she's so positive. Mm. And Mary Carr, I felt like, was a little bit more laborious, and mm. I don't know. I came away sort of stressed out from it. But anyway, <laughs> so I was like, oh, Big Magic is great. I've She talks about carnal, and I had always heard the word carnal as, like, sin. Mm-hmm. And... I never put together that it's part of the word incarnate. So I think part of it is this belief of if I pay attention to the carnal, I will stumble into the incarnate, the way that God is present and enfleshed in my love for my cat who comes to the window window on a winter morning and smells like the fields across the street or my compassion for my children like all of those things are the way that God is incarnate in the everyday um and so it is a posture of belief to say I will write about chickens for 30 days and believe that there's more going on Mm -hmm. in it and right wrong or ridiculous think our culture has has been really good at separating and categorizing right and there really is a movement to bring what has been called secular and what has been called sacred into a unity right where there is necessarily no difference right we can we can see love in cooking dinner right we can see we can see joy in you know chasing the chickens back into your yard (laughs) yeah and and all that that means and i think some of that for me came out of just desperation like Mm -hmm. i needed god and i wanted god to be present but i didn't have the time and access to do the kind of things that i would have done before Mm -hmm. so i found god speaking to me through children's books when i was reading to my kids and part of it is that so many of the stories we tell are resonant of the biblical story and they follow a similar pattern but part of it also was that was what I was reading and so if I believe that God is a God who wants to be with us and communicate with us then God's like sure I can speak through a children's book and then I found myself preaching with children's books (laughs) and like so I think it's part of my belief in this God who's just you love chicken? I would love to speak to you through your love for chickens or mm-hmm. any of those things. And then have you put into words what you experienced in that so that other people right. can also hopefully experience yeah. love and grace and mercy yeah. through your work? Right. Yeah. Which is so needed. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Does that seem like a good place to stop? Yes. I do want to say one thing about, you asked about people who are on the brink of starting something new. Mm -hmm. It's really helpful to be in community with people. So when I started writing, I quickly found two other writers online who were, had just moved Mm -hmm. and had left behind their careers. And I, 
think following their experiences gave me a lot of freedom and courage mm-hmm. and then staying in touch and eventually becoming friends with them. Um, so community that is supportive of sort of an alternate way of spending your time mm-hmm. at times. Um, and then I think that just playfulness mm-hmm. is so helpful and to try doing things that you have no training in. So that's why the painting, like, mm-hmm. I learned things about writing through painting. I learned about my drivenness and my fear and all of those things. And in painting, I can be like, oh, look at that. I'm being very cautious and afraid or getting really concerned with like making something nice. What is this about? And I can then look at my writing and say, am I bringing this posture to writing too? And, and what is that about? And um, so I, th- I think just the value of playfulness and freedom is really, really helpful in finding others who encourage you to embrace that and help you see the benefits of that. So like my mm-hmm. husband before the kids were in school would say do you need to go write (laughs) why don't you go write for a little while because he saw that I could go and spend he's like just take the computer and go and I would come back and I was better to be around (laughs) yeah you were a little bit of a different person when you came back yeah or like yesterday I was telling you how I found the freedom to spend some time time painting and cutting flowers and and part of what helped me do that was I had a friend who helped with my kids last summer and the summer before and she would say oh I just love seeing how creative you get when you have time and space to do it and just her saying that helped me yesterday when I was struggling between the work that I needed to do and these things that didn't feel like work and I thought well my friend says that this is really helpful and valuable and so I was able to like bring that voice in to conversation with these voices that were more pressureful and demanding so those are some things that helped me having a community yeah and that's where the internet has been a huge grace for me especially um, being home with the kids a lot mm-hmm. yeah you can be out and develop relationships yeah. and yet still be at home yeah and do it in a, at, a, at the time of day that works for you mm-hmm. yeah amazing well thank you so much you're welcome kelly. and for those of you who want to get in touch with kelly you can find her on facebook as well as www.afieldofwildflowers.blogspot.com and you can get more information in the show notes for today So grace and peace, friends, and thank you for listening to Waterworks podcast number four.